Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Choi, co-founder and CEO of Bobbity, an AI training platform that's raised nearly $6 million in funding. Choi, thanks for chatting with me today. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Sure. So out of 20 years of my career, I can probably have split into two, like first half and second half, 10 years each. The first half was more about like being in startup world. And the second half, big court, like three years in eBay and seven years in Facebook. Now Meta. So in the first half, I started as a salesperson in a small startup, and then I started running my own businesses in Korea, three of them. And then I sold the last one and I moved to the United States after that for MBA. And then I joined eBay as a product manager, spent three years there, and then joined Facebook as the first product manager at a team called Ads Integrity. And that's when I learned much about like machine learning, because the team is all about fighting against the hackers. We're trying to exploit the entire ad system at Facebook. And I learned a lot about like, you know, um, how challenging it is to predict and, you know, um, make the machine work in the right way. So I learned a lot about machine learning at that time. And then after that, I joined social impact team for two years and HR technology for one year and back to the jungle in Bobbity. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> and take me back. So what year was it that you moved to the United States? That was 2009. Wow. Interesting time to move to America. Exactly. But at least <laughs> I was a student there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So what was going through your mind as you made that shift? Were you like terrified of moving to the U.S.? Were you super excited? Like walk us through your psychology there. I mean, both. I mean, the first two businesses in Korea didn't go well. But during that time, I saw, I got to know about Silicon Valley. There's, you know, like startup world and all the entire ecosystem. So I... I was pretty excited about like learning about how people work in startup works in Silicon Valley or in the United States in the bigger term. So I was pretty excited, but given the economic situation, et cetera, it was terrifying at the same time. But my goal was to stay in the US and learn. And you know, like, eventually I can start up a business there. And after 10 years or 12 years to be precise, that happened. Amazing. And eBay and Facebook, those are two very big companies, but two very different companies. So just from your perspective and working at both of these large organizations, what was the biggest difference between eBay and Facebook? Wow. I mean, the business model is different, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot from those two experiences. And eBay was more about learning the functions of the product manager and then how the ecosystem works. And I was kind of more familiar with e-commerce as an industry back then. So um, I learned a lot about the skills and the hard skills and et cetera. But at Facebook, I started learning more about like mission. So everybody in Facebook is so obsessed with the mission. They always actually think about the mission and the impact. And, you know, I think that was pretty impressive. And so I would say just to summarize, in eBay, I learned about hard skills. And in Facebook, I learned much about like how important it is to think about mission and the perfect execution to make it happen. Nice. Two very uh, valuable skills there. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about is your nonprofit, Meal Forward. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So it just started as a casual, personal 
like fundraiser at Facebook right at the beginning of the pandemic back in 2020, I think it was in March. I saw a blog post saying that, you know, um, they raised fund and donated the hundred percent of the fund raised to the local restaurants, which were having a hard time because of shelter in place back then in the Bay Area so that the restaurants can cook great meals and deliver that to the healthcare workers who were struggling at the very beginning of pandemic. And I thought it was really, really great idea. But the challenge they had was it's cumbersome. It's so hard to organize all these meals and deliveries and et cetera. So somebody has to automate it. And then when I saw the word automation and I was like, yeah, really Silicon Valley, we can probably do some automation there, build some products. So I, I started building the product brief too, with the hope that we can automate the entire process. It kind of led to uh, creating a nonprofit uh, meal forward. And we started delivering ourselves with like tens of partner restaurants and beneficiaries. Yeah, so far we've delivered about like 20,000. It's still going on in the Bay Area. And then we are serving now mainly the hungry kids in the Bay Area. Believe it or not, there are a lot of hungry kids in, in the Bay Area. So it's still going on. It, anybody's interested in volunteering, it's 100% volunteering based. Please date me up. Amazing. I see on the website, it said like 18,000 meals and almost a quarter million dollars in funds raised so far. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. We should do more. (laughs) (laughs) There's always more to do, right? Yep. Nice. Well, that's helpful background for us to, you know, understand where you come from, really. Now, two questions we'd like to ask to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and as an entrepreneur. Is there a specific Mm -hmm. CEO that you admire the most? And if so, who is it? And what do you admire about them? I mean, in general, not just one, but there's so many founders that I admire. I mean, when you're in early career, like you learn a lot from one person or a small number of people. But as you grow in your career, you tend to learn little by little from many people so that you can make your learning curve in aggregate really steep. So I'm in that stage, I would say. And I so I admire all founders. I mean, it's a really tough job, but if I have to pick one, I would probably pick Brian Chesky from Airbnb. Why? I mean, I mean, grit. I mean, everybody knows his corporate stories at the very beginning of Airbnb. And then he constantly raises the bar to realize something that he imagines, which is beyond what people could imagine. Like he talks about one day, five stars experiences and six star experiences, seven star experiences to actually make it happen. And last but not least, uh, how he handled the step back, like the layoff that made at the beginning of the pandemic, but the way that he dealt with the setback was pretty impressive. There are many reasons, but yeah, I would pick Brian Chesky if I have to pick one. Nice. That's a great call out. And I don't remember where I heard that, but I've heard his exercise of, you know, going through what it would look like for a four star, five star, six star, yeah. star. And I think like, at one point it was like, what was 10 star? It's like, Elon Musk you know, meets you as you fly in on a private jet and you know drives you directly to your Airbnb, something crazy like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it's going to happen at some point if it's Brian Jeske. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. true. And what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? And, and this can be a business book or could also just be a personal book that's really influenced how you view the world. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much the same as the the founder that I admire. There are many in many different perspectives, but I... I can pick Give and Take by Adam Grant. The book is all about like paying more attention to what other people need from me and give more to be able to succeed. I'm pretty sure there's a better version of summary, but it's some somewhere in there. 
And then when you think about that as a founder, you just can't build a great business by just taking. I mean, you need to give, meaning like you need to understand what your team needs more in order to build a strong and formidable team. And we all together can make huge impact. So I think that's really important to understand how to give and make sure that the team is actually working as a team. So that was pretty impactful as a founder to learn about. And also that is actually in line with what I learned at Facebook or Meta as well. Like they're saying that yeah, to make a happy customer or user, there are three things, people, process, and product. And usually you spend a lot of time in product and some time in process and little time in prop people, but it has to be exactly the opposite. You should spend a lot of time on people, some time in process and little in product. And you will see a magical moment of people creating great product to scale. So I learned a lot about that at Facebook. And then it's kind of in line with what give and take says. So I would actually say give and take was pretty impactful for me. Nice. I love that. That's been on my list for a long time, but you just pushed it to the top. I've, uh, I've been meaning to read that. for got to read it. Highly recommended. <laughs> nice. Amazing. Cool. Well, let's switch gears here. And now let's finally talk about what you're building today. So can you take us through the origin story behind the company? Sure. So it was back in 2020 holiday season. I used to write business plan every holiday season. But so it was 2020. I thought about this idea and reached out to my friend, Suihyang, who's my co-founder. But he used to be my drinking friend. So every season, like holiday season, we drink together. I talk about business plan and ideas. And he's like, okay, let's just keep drinking. But this time it was like after five minutes, he said, hey, Choi, this is great. Let's do this. And I was like, what do you mean by do this? And six months passed, we kind of explored and tested the idea. We started seeing some signals. So back in June in 2021, after six months after the ideation, we restarted the company. That's how we started. Amazing. And what are customers paying you to solve? You know, how do they articulate that problem? So the problem they uh, we're going after is that the AI companies are the customers. And they don't really know how their AI models will perform in the real world before they deploy. Just to give an example, like Facebook, AI categorizing Black people as primates. I feel bad uh, whenever I talk about this. Or Twitter, facial cropping algorithm favoring white, younger female. Or Stanford research that says the automatic speech recognition system, they don't understand like Black accent. There are so many bias that is actually happening, but that's not driven by exactly the lack of data. You know, Facebook and Twitter, they have a lot of data. It's actually driven more by the unknown, unknown, the unknown bias. So that's the problem we're going after. And the solution they were proposing is that, hey, we have our global community where people can find the loophole of your AI immediately. So just to give an example, if there's a automatic speech recognition model that's supposed to transcribe whatever you're saying, you can record and let the AI create the transcript and see the transcript and edit all these things that the AI got wrong, like newly coined words, acronyms, and then you share all this data so that the AI can focus on training based upon what they got wrong so that we can improve the model really efficiently. So um, that's the solution that basically we're providing for. And then now we're focused on, we started as a um, company covering computer vision, NLP and speech, but now we're focused on speech data and speech modeling. And we sell like prepackaged test data for speech, mostly in English and Korean. They are really high quality, a lot of metadata, many attributes like text and noise and accent, et cetera. And we also help our customers 
understand the bias the model has, what kind of data they need to make the model more robust very quickly, because basically what we do is we connect their models to our community directly and let our communities find the loophole for them. So we get a lot of insights very quickly. That's what we basically do. Interesting. So it's kind of like a bug bounty program? Exactly. We call ourselves as a bug bounty platform as a service for AI. Nice. That's very cool. I love that. And, you know, chat GPT came out what, like a month ago and uh, was going viral on LinkedIn and everywhere else. Have investors just been blowing you up the last month or so? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that 2022 will be remembered as a transitioning year in many perspectives. It's amazing. And, you know, yep. from your perspective, how would you summarize just the state of artificial intelligence today if we're looking at the, the landscape and the ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. When you step back, the concept of AI was born back in the 1950s. And for the first 70 years or so, I think there's one question that entire industry has been trying to answer, which is, hey, there's a concept of AI. Is it going to work? And, you know, um, thanks to the drastic improvement in data and in the data infrastructure and then the sheer amount of data, we can probably see that AI is kind of working. It's great. So, and then what's the next set of or single question that we need to answer in the industry for the next couple of decades? Some VC actually said, the question is, so what? I mean, okay, AI is working, but what's the value? What's the net positive or negative value? What's the business impact that the AI is creating itself? Like, is it creating uh, more revenue or is it cutting cost or is it helping any kind of leading indicator? Like, customer engagement or user time spent or et cetera. Or in the other side, isn't it damaging the entire community with all this unknown bias, et cetera, et cetera. So um, are we answering this question? I mean, I think for the next couple of decades, it is going to be super important for us to answer that question. What's the net value or net positive or net negative value that the AI is creating? And then Augmenting the positive value and mitigating the negative value will be a super important part. And the reason that I said at the very beginning, oh, like a couple of minutes back, I said that the 2020 or chat GPT and et cetera are going to be recorded as a transitioning breakthrough. I think the reason is because they are creating a business impact. Like you probably have heard chat GPT, generative AI, stable diffusion, noble AI, text image. There are a lot of things, but what's going to happen? Two things are going to happen in my mind. One. There's a large language model, and on top of that, there will be a lot of different verticals shooting for different use cases. Like, you know, if it's a chatbot, there are chatbots to care people or chatbots to hang out with, like friends. So it may actually allow some swearings because you know, between friends, you swear a lot, but you don't want to actually let your caring chatbot swear. So there are different use cases you want to improve your model on top of the large language model. So you will need a lot of data. But the data should be proprietary. It's, it's got to be legally safe, but it's extremely hard to ensure that you obtain all this proprietary, legally safe data in the industry. Like Stable Diffusion, a couple of days back, they got just sued. So that's going to be a strong challenge. And the other one is because it's verticals, got to be able to use uh, or iterate and improve their model very quickly against the competition, not even every month, but also even like every week or even every day. So how do you? How do you secure all of this great quality data in a legally safe way and then iterate your model very quickly? These two are going to be a super big challenge for the entire AI industry, my point of view, and we can help. 
Amazing. Love that. And on your website, I see at the bottom there, it says, start your new 10-minute side hustle. So can you talk us through, you know, who are those people who are using this as a side hustle or, you know, what's the vision for it? You know, who do you envision is going to be using this as a way to generate income as a side hustle? Mm, that's a great question. Our basic premise is that the best people to collect the data for you and validate if your model is actually working or not is actually the people you're targeting with the service that's backed by the model you're building. So that's the basic premise. So it's global, public, general people, uh, mostly in the US, Korea, Philippines, India, Kenya, South Africa, et cetera. That's what we have right now. And then that's in line with the vision that we have. We want, we want the AI to be run by the entire global community with no bias and the best people to actually say or tell us that the AI has some opportunity to improve in terms of the bias will be the people in the global community. So um, that's the vision that we have. And what do you envision as you know, like a rate that someone could earn if they were doing this? Have you thought through that or worked through what that you know, kind of business model would look like? Sure. People can earn about 10 to 20 bucks an hour easy at Bobby right now. And when you look at the minimum wages in, in different communities, like in the Philippines, for example, the minimum wage is about a dollar and 30 cents per hour. Like in Kenya, it's just 28 cents. So there's a huge arbitrage. So people just love using Bobbity and earning side money as a side hustle. But that's just the beginning. You know what? It's, we understand that, you know, um, the rewards and all this side hustle strategy, it's not going to be enough for us to cover the entire spectrum of the entire community that we have in the earth. So while we're starting with utility, just giving rewards at the very beginning, but we have a strategy to grow our community as more social capital based later on. Like you have identity, have fun, it's gamified, you have your history here, you have your expertise, et cetera. I think that's the way that we can grow the community in the right way. Amazing. I love it. And as I'm sure you've seen over the years, and especially in the last few months, there is just a lot of noise around AI and a lot of hype around AI. What are you doing to really stand out and, and separate yourself from all of that noise and all of that buzz? This can be a kind of two buckets. It could be, how did you stand <laughs> out and break the noise with investors? And then, you know, how are you standing out and yeah, breaking through the noise with customers? Wow, that's a huge question. For the investors, I talk a lot about like you know, um, the market shift. Could we always say that the uh, big data era is ending? Because if there's a problem with the AI, industry tends to put even more data <laughs> big data, uh, so to speak, but it's not only inefficient and expensive, but also it may augment the problem the data set already had. So uh, you just don't know. So our approach or our unique perspective around the market is the market is shifting, big data era is ending, the quality data era is coming. And that's where we're playing. And the unique approach that we have is also helping us stand out among all this noise. Like for example, like we have a unique approach for a huge problem. We're not just collecting data, we connect our customers' data to our community so that we can find a loophole and that we create the data universe that the customer didn't know before. So the approach is unorthodox. And then I think that the uh, investors are pretty interested in like all these unorthodox approaches. And last but not least, we talked a lot about the strong team. We started as two co-founders, but as you can see from the idea, it's a mashup between community and AI, and that represents the expertise that co-founders we have as well. Like I spent a lot of time in the community. My friend and co-founder Suhyun is the AI guy. He's the PhD in AI and Google Maps team. And you know he ran his AR businesses and sold it to Niantic. 
So I think those all stories actually help us stand out a little bit during this tough time. For the customers, at the end of the day, it's the quality that we provide. Not only high quality that we collect from the users or the communities directly, but also it processes in a way that you don't have to actually waste anything. When you usually buy prepackaged data or from your service log or all other sources or even crowdsourcing, they ask people to just to follow this instruction and collect the data. And you just don't know how much or how helpful it is for your model. But we start with not the instruction, but with their model. So we only focus on the opportunities that the model has, and we turn that into a data, high quality data and insights. So um, that's why customers actually love working with us. And as I'm sure you've also experienced, bringing innovative technology to market isn't easy. What would you say has been your greatest challenge so far and how do you overcome that challenge? I mean, a lot of things are challenging <laughs> in that perspective. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think the innovation is the function of what you do and the outcome. I mean, you can do dramatically less to get to the same outcome or you do the same and you get just tremendously different outcome. That's, I think, you know, a really rough definition of innovation. And the mistake that I had at the very beginning of Bobbity was that I focused too much on what we do. And it's cool and the approach is awesome. We, we started actually tapping onto the market. It kind of attracted the attention from the VCs and, you know, the customers. It wasn't really, I would say, heard, meaning it didn't connect with the direct revenue, didn't connect with the actual outcome at the very beginning. We talked a lot about edge cases, how the bias could, should be actually fixed, and et cetera, et cetera. But the day-to-day challenge that the people had at the customer level, they understand that's a challenge, but day-to-day challenge is a little different. It's a data collection, the high-quality data, and they wanted to understand why their model is actually not working, and they wanted to you know, partner with somebody. So um, two needs. They needed high-quality data, and they needed partners to just deep dive and you know, partner with them to improve their model very quickly. So we changed our strategy of the go-to-market strategy and then started working with the customers for their own day-to-day needs. So just to give an example, like one customer working on ASR model, we started collecting the data for them using our community, using our app, iOS and Android. So basically how it worked was they wanted to collect all this English data for from people at 20s in casual conversations, but not too casual, like talking about just weather. So um, we came up with this app that asks our community all these prompts, like what's your guilty pleasure or what is the one thing that you want to change about yourself, et cetera. And they started recording all of these and the recording will be, uh, the, the app is pr- uh, directly connected to the customer's AI through API. And as soon as people record, the AI will transcribe and we ask the people to edit the transcript wherever the AI got it wrong. So we collected all this data and then gave it to our customers. Uh, but because we used their AI, we also had access to all these great insights. Like we found some bias. This AI is not recognizing a certain accent or it's not working uh, with the babbling noise background or it's not really working in a conversational setup. So we came up with a new next plan like, hey, we can run this challenge to cover the accent so we can run this in New Zealand. India and the Philippines, and then we asked people to record it in cafe with other people so that you can have more babbling noise in a conversational format so that we can just laser focus on the data set, creating the data set that the customer actually needs. And that's how we're actually working so far. That's amazing. 
Now, last couple of questions here for you because we're almost up on time. What excites you most about the work you get to do every day? Wow, that's a great question. You know, AI has a high potential. Everybody knows this, and as well as a huge risk. So everybody knows the potential, so we can talk about the risk a little more. I mean, in the real world, there's some level of randomness and diversity. Like, So it's actually not too bad at this point. Just to give an example, like call center, like, you know, if I call a call center and the person over the phone doesn't recognize my accent, like the accent that I have right now, I can just hang up and call again until I see some person who can actually understand me. But imagine that people in the call center are replaced, completely replaced by the AI and AI does not recognize my accent. I'm completely excluded from that ecosystem. You can imagine this happens with, like, for example, recruiting AI or interview AI because of the false positive or false negative or the bias that the AI unconsciously has, a person can actually lose the job forever. So there's a huge implication. The stakes are pretty high. So we're pretty excited about like, you know, working on it, not the problem itself, but the fact that the world working on this really important problem, but in a way that actually helps the global community. We talked about the rewards and, you know, um, utility and et cetera. But we, we get a lot of direct messages from people like some person just sent me an email uh, that she, sh- her mom passed, but you know, Bobby was really mentally and financially helpful, et cetera. Or this person, this guy from the Philippines actually messaged directly us that the, um, his wife is expecting a baby, but they're living separately right now. So he's working really hard and Bobby right after his work so that he can support the baby later. So um, he's grateful for Bobby D and that's why he is going to name his baby after Bobby D, et cetera. He's Bobby D the godfather. It's a, it's a joke, but still, you know, whenever <laughs> I get these messages, I feel like this is amazing. So when I got this message, I told my co-founder, Suhyun, that, hey, I know the business is going to be hard. Running a startup is challenging, but whatever happens, I think I can do this at least 10 years with no problem. I just love this. That's amazing. And and certainly sounds rewarding to get those types of messages as well. And if we zoom out into the future, what's the five-year vision for the company? The five-year vision for the company is to help everybody begin to run their own challenge. So just like any professors writing thesis or students writing thesis or data scientists, CTOs or modelers, engineers, they can set up their own budget, their own time period, their own target, like 20s, in their college using iPhone, et cetera, and collect the data and validate their model on themselves, like by themselves, uh, running challenges as if like flower shop owners running Facebook ads. I mean, I started my career at Facebook in the ads team, as I said, and back then we had this problem on a call that is lightweight interface that's helping the long tail, the general public create the ad easy. The revenue was back then was about like 15% uh, coming from the long tail, I think. Seven years fast forward, it grew up to like 80% or so when I, when I quit. Long tail can be super powerful. I've seen it. I've built a product. And when I see our product to make it available for anybody, I think our product is much simpler than the ad product that the Facebook had to run in many perspectives. So I can imagine that whenever you're trying to train your model or test the model or deploy the model, everyone should say that, hey, you should do Bobby before you do whatever you do. Otherwise, you're screwed. If that happens, I think that the business can be really big. So I would love to actually have everybody use 
Bobby to make sure that they get the right data and train the data, uh, train the model in the right way. And that's the vision that we have. Wow. I love that. And I also have to say, I love your guys' name. It's such a fun name to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no problem. And unfortunately, we are up on time. So we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build this company up, where's the best place for them to go? Come to bobbity.com or send me an email to hello at bobbity.com. Amazing. Well, thank you again for taking the time to come and chat here and share your vision for what you're building. This is super exciting and we look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Thank you so much for your time, Brett. No problem. Let's keep in touch. 